Welcome to Empowered by Women for Women. This podcast brings you inspirational women and their stories, their successes, and their experiences along the way. Join us to be challenged and inspired. Brought to you by Invintage and hosted by myself, Trudy Kerr. In this episode, we are talking to a wonderful and well-known woman. Christabel Borge started out her life in the public eye by hosting Maltese TV shows as a teen, but is probably best known for taking part in the Eurovision Song Contest in 2018 with Taboo, speaking out about the challenges of mental health issues, an area that became a point of passion for Christabel and saw her appointed as a mental health ambassador for the President's Foundation for the Wellbeing of Society. Since these achievements, Christabel's moved forward with her career to become CEO of the industrial company V&C, which is involved in several businesses ranging from contractors, development and hospitality. And Christabel recently announced her dream had come true when Forbes magazine featured her in the publication, interviewing her in relation to her work and her entrepreneurial endeavours. Christabel, welcome. Welcome to Invintage. Welcome Welcome to Empowered. Um, Thank you so much for being here with us. Thank you for having me. Did you like the preamble? (laughs) I loved it. It was an introduction. (laughs) Thank you. You're so welcome. And it's so nice to meet you. Obviously, you're very, very well known. It's quite some resume that you have there. And it's taken both courage and guts Uh, to do what you've done. So tell me, what were your formative years like? How did this prepare you for the endeavours and the adventures that you were going to experience? Because as I understand it, you're still quite young and you've achieved so much. Thank you. Um, Well, (laughs) I think my mother has been my backbone throughout. I have to say that I wouldn't have gotten anywhere without her. Um, given the fact that she always supported what I wanted to do and always supported my dreams. And by support, I mean taking me everywhere, um, (laughs) letting me experience everything that I wanted to experience in life, be it um, traveling, be it studying abroad. I mean, then when an opportunity came along, obviously, it was a very difficult decision to make, especially when I was 13 years old. My father had to take the decision for me not to stay in, in, in the States, for example, which which actually happened. <laughs> and at that time, I I mean, I, I don't like using the word resentment, but if I knew what it meant, I think at that time I felt resentment to, towards the fact that um, I was not I was not allowed to remain there. But now looking back, I mean... Not now, I mean, after a few months, I realized that it obviously, obviously it was the right choice for me. Obviously, as a 13-year-old, I wanted to do whatever I wanted to do. And and I wanted to live alone, and I wanted... But obviously, my parents knew better. And my, my father nowadays tells me, you know, everything happens for a reason in life, you know? You wouldn't have met your husband. <laughs> and my husband <laughs> tells him, well, hello. <laughs> <laughs> oh my <laughs> but but basically I, I I've been through a lot of experience that have taught me a lot in my life and perhaps um seeing my parents work very hard 
especially my father, um, literally working 24 hours a day, um, not being able to spend time with us, and my mom working so hard to raise my sister and myself. Um, obviously, I don't think my father ever t- attended like a parents' day, you know, because he was always working, and he still is. So I get that work ethic from him, for sure. Um, my work is my life. I love it. Um, I w- would not rather be doing anything else. Um, and But basically, it's, if I have to say that if, if there was something that like made me become what I am today, it has to be my parents, definitely. That's a fantastic, fantastic legacy for your parents <laughs> to leave behind. And, and good for them. Listen, we're going to jump straight into Eurovision because yes, most people would know Christabel Borges in relation to Eurovision. And the content of the song that you took to Eurovision tackled the taboo of mental health issues. And you yourself have had to deal with mental health issues. And with the song Taboo, you're sending out a message to everyone who is struggling about the need to seek professional help. Now, this is a brave story to be sharing. It's a brave story to be sharing in Malta. It's a hugely brave story to be sharing across the whole of Europe and far, far beyond. How were you affected by your own challenges And why did this become the cause that you really wanted to champion? So, um, before we were, I mean, the song was written by Matthew and myself, um, Mushu, who I love and adore. Um, We sat across each other on a table and I said, we need to write a song about mental health. And he said, why? And we both told each other stories and obviously some things that we both were going through. So that's what inspired it. Um, And I remember Matthew asking me a question. Would you like to tell a story or would you like to empower people? And I said, I think if I tell my story, it would be not because I have a sad story. Don't get me wrong, because I mean, having mental health issues is like being injured. What we wanted to write about was um, finding the positive side of it um, and trying to help people, obviously, talk about their issues because I think that's why it's called taboo. Um, one of the biggest taboos is people accepting that they have a problem and searching for for help, for the help that they need. I have severe anxiety um, that I can tackle now, like I can handle it and I know where how where my limits are. So... But before, I didn't know how to like handle it. And, and I obviously seeked help, given the fact that my parents both experienced some mental health issues. Um, my mother, when she was very young, and obviously my dad later on in life, obviously work brings a lot of stress. And I mean, I think everyone would have experienced some sort of mental health episode, you know? Well, ironically, I was going to jump in there and say... You were talking about this in 2018 and you're trying to break the taboo of talking about mental health in 2018, just before we had one of the most significant uh, periods in history, in recent history, that has brought mental health to absolutely everybody's attention because the pandemic 
has meant people have had to talk about mental health. So you were kind of the forerunner for what is happening now. Without knowing, obviously. Without knowing. Do you think that now, and we're going to come to, to your other role within the foundation in a second, but do you, do you think now people are more prepared to talk about mental health? I think there are, but there are still people that perhaps, for example, um, that speak to a friend about it and the friend tell him as if going to a psychologist, you're crazy, because some people, that's how they talk, you know? So perhaps there are some people that think that without seeking help, they're going to get better. But ultimately, it's not even about going to a psychologist or if it's obviously severe seeing a psychiatrist and but even by just speaking to someone that you trust about it at least you have to let people know that you're going through a bad time or a bad like a bad period in your life because if you keep everything to yourself then then that's when it becomes worse that's how I was I used to keep all the emotions I, I didn't used to speak about them because I thought that people are going to judge me and when I spoke openly about, obviously, mental health, I didn't think that I, it was going to get the response that it got. I have to be honest. The two months, I think, in between um, uh, winning in Malta and April, I would say, I was literally answering people night and day because I, I felt that people shouldn't be alone. And people were speaking to me about their issues without, obviously knowing that it might have an effect on people until a psychiatrist in Malta called um, someone very close to me and they asked them, listen, ask Christabel to stop because this is affecting her. There were people that were, that if I don't speak to them, they're going to do something to harm themselves. That's how mental health is. So I felt responsible, Mm -hmm. if you know what I mean. And I still help a lot of people. I don't show it publicly because obviously I decided to shy away from the public eye rather than remain in it because of, it was affecting my, my, my line of work. I still help, but I don't do it publicly. And perhaps, I mean, if there's someone out there that needs to talk to someone, I will find the time for, for, for them. But I help in other ways, obviously. Um, the moment especially, it's not easy for people given the fact that we can't socialize, everyone's alone, um, the elderly are always alone, and I don't think that the elderly know what mental health really is. So uh, we have to be there for them, help, obviously, the people that we think are lonely and need the help. I've been chatting and interviewing people for a long time, and this one theme has kept being repeated over the t- this period of COVID, and that's loneliness and people feeling isolated and exactly what you're saying. Now, I also suspect that you going out and saying that you had anxiety or, or mental health challenges and then getting up on a stage in front of millions gives hope to other people who are going through mental health issues. No, definitely I think that's what happened. I, that's why I told you I didn't think I was going to get the reaction and the response that it, that it did. I have to be honest. I mean, I didn't think that there were so many people suffering. 
Well, let's talk about that responsibility for a second, because the president, Mary Louise Calero Precker, appointed you as a mental health ambassador for the president's foundation for the well-being of society. Now, you talk about responsibility there. That's a massive responsibility. Were all the responses to you being put in that position positive? No. (laughs) No, they weren't, because... Um, there were people that spoke up and said, mm, she just wrote a song about mental health. She was made an ambassador. I mean, I, I didn't ask to be put in that position. Um, when they asked me to accept, they didn't ask me to accept it either. Obviously, I accepted it with open arms, given the fact that it's a privilege for me. But I raised the awareness that wasn't being raised before. You know, I opened up many doors that's that's the truth. I mean, I didn't do it for publicity. I did it to actually help people. So how did you deal with that? Bearing in mind that you have already gone out as an ambassador for mental health because you've already admitted that you yourself have had your own challenges. How do you deal with that negative At feedback? that time, I had a psychotherapist that I was seeing day in, day out, and he helped me through it all. Then when it was all over and everything a bit all over, as in my Eurovision experience, um, to be honest, I kind of forgot about it. Then um, there was an episode um, later on in the year, or it affected me, it affected me so much. Like um, There was a news outlet that posted an article about me. The amount of hate that I saw, perhaps... If you, if you look at the positives compared to the negative comments, I mean, there must have been 400 positive and 20 negative. But those 20 negative comments, I locked myself inside, didn't want to go to work. I mean, I still worked, but... And I think that's when I, I was at my worst mentally. I'm not shy to say, my husband lived abroad for a year after we got married and he wasn't in Malta, so he kind of knew what was going on, but he couldn't be here because obviously of his own commitments. Some some of the comments that that I read, I wouldn't even tell them to the to a person that would have killed someone that that I love. The irony is is that you got those heartbreaking comments after having stood up for a section of society who needs help and who probably you may have saved their life. Yes, definitely. But when you look back, nowadays there are so many pros to social media, but the cons, I feel, override the pros, like hands down, hands down. And I'm on social media because of my work and because I love to interact with the people that actually follow me um, and obviously like what I do and the amount of love that I get from people that I I become friends with, literally because they send me a message and they ask me something about my life or about my house or about a, a piece of clothing that I'm wearing or a piece of jewelry that I'm wearing. I become friends with them. I mean, I try to help them. I've even bought stuff for, for people and taken them to their house. Because I'm, I'm, I mean, that's my character. That's me. 
Um, so I literally do it because I know that there are people that love me, you know, but there was a time that I considered like shutting down everything and say, I mean, social media at that time, it's about to ruin my life. You know what I mean? You mentioned that this is also at the same time that your husband, your new husband was abroad. <laughs> Because you got married in September 2018 to Jordan and he immediately got snapped up as an international water polo star. So you then started a long-distance marriage. And in this interview with Love in Malta, you stated that you cried in bed because of the situation and often picked fights that you wouldn't have had if you were in the same country. Now, it sounds to me like there was an awful lot of else going on at that time definitely and these two situations actually uh, exaggerated each other how did you make it through that challenge and what did you learn about yourself and each other that strengthened your marriage because that is not an easy situation to walk into um i think the thing that kept me going was work hands down no other thing no family member just work I like gave all my energy and everything that I had in me into my job. And with that, I managed to achieve quite a few things that I wanted to, to um, write off my bucket list. I think having been able to, in my opinion, because obviously to each his own, but having been able to get through all that and... Obviously, I don't, I don't give myself, I don't think I give myself enough credit for it because it was n not easy at all. But there are people that go through it on a daily basis, people that my story is different to other people's story. I never expected that it was going to happen because opportunities like that don't come, don't come along often. So I would have never in my life told him not to do it. And it was too late to postpone the wedding. Because obviously, by, by, by getting married means that you start a new life together, you move in together, um, you start planning having a family, you know. And for us, it was like <laughs> completely different. And then having to go through, obviously, the stress of work. I know I call it stress, but it's not stress because I love what I'm doing. So I'm asking for it. <laughs> so, uh, but obviously, every, every job, every responsibility some people have one responsibility and they might be stressed about it, you know. I think it's the love that kept us going. We managed. And now we're, we're I mean, it's great. We have a business together as well now. So it's, it's, it's fantastic. And I'm seeing the big smile on your face. So I'm really glad. I have no doubt that it's fantastic. But let's talk about that work that you mentioned. Because you are 29 years old. And you are the CEO of an industrial company. Now, this seems like a heck of a lot of responsibility. <laughs> and also, not only that, you're in a construction, an industrial company. Do you ever feel as a woman <laughs> that you are in a man's world? All the time. <laughs> All the time. If it's a man's world, are you intimidated or does it drive you no, harder? No, actually, actually, something that my father always said was that, obviously, because... He started out the construction company when uh, when I was born, literally two weeks before he registered the company. My, my dad always said, um, I'm really unlucky. I have two girls. 
nobody's going to want to take over the business, really and truly. I always said no. I said, no, I want to do my own thing, you know. Um, I want to become an accountant. I want to work abroad. I want to work in fashion. And one fine day, I went out for dinner with my father, just him and I, and I told him, would you consider diversifying the group? I said, I said you'll have to take care of the construction side of the business. And I'll, he said, but what about the financial side of it? And... You know, we have to get financing to be able to diversify. I said, I'll take care of it. I mean, I had no experience because I had the experience of an accountant and and drawing up trial balances and, and accounts, you know. And two weeks later, I gave him my notice. And I didn't tell him. I didn't tell anyone. I just went in and I told them I'm leaving to help my father with the family business. And there was a bit of... I mean, please stay here. You can you can spend a few more years here. You can grow here. Um, I said, I think now that I made a decision, I I, I have to keep. I, I, if I take a decision, I, I you will seem have to. like that kind of woman. You're a decision. Once that's it's made, it. I that's it. You're gonna do it. I trust my gut. I just I won't go back on it. I don't, I won't go back on my word. And and I went home and I I I told him. I told my father. I think I had told my mom when I came back from work and I I waited for my father to come home in the evening and I told my father I told him dad I gave him my notice today he told me what do you mean he thought I was leaving Malta because that was always my intention (laughs) he's like I'm like will you employ me (laughs) and he just burst out crying he said I couldn't believe it it was the complete opposite to what I had imagined and in construction is my favorite area. So tell me, that, before we finish, you know, you talk about you, you joined your, your company with your father, you're working with family, yeah. you're working in a man's world, and you're pushing it forward. You've, dropped, you've just handed in your notice, and you've made that decision, and as I said, you look like a woman who, when she's made up her mind, that's what she's going to do. What is the hardest challenge in the working environment that you are in right now? Um, but the hardest thing that I've ever had to experience is firing someone. Hands down. Um, is that because you are a woman and you are concerned, probably more so than a man, but you're concerned about the impact on that individual because you understand impact? Definitely. But at the same time, um, you would have built a relationship with a person. My relationship with my employees is not a boss-employee kind of relationship. Um, My relationship with them is family, friend, um, and colleague. I'm not above anyone. Obviously, when there are situations that need to be tackled, I tackle them. The employees appreciate that a lot. Um, And I'm very hands-on my work I'm not I'm not a person that would tell you do something and not show you um, I guide everyone through every step that they need to take for the obviously responsibility that they, that they have and I'm available at all times for questions and whatnot and if I have to clean the floors I would clean the floors and I do it I'm, I'm not ashamed to say it I I literally, 
go from cleaning the floors to negotiating and signing off deals. You know what I mean? So, and perhaps um, that's why um, our employee turnover is very, very low. Because both myself and the family members that are in the company are very, very hardworking. Um, I don't like saying it about myself, but I see it. My father, my uncle, my cousin. When we have to work at night, they would not never leave the employees working on their own. They would go on site. I mean, I've, <laughs> I've spent days. I mean, we have people that are employed to do it. But in the wind, I've spent days out on the tarmac fixing the traffic management. And I, I do not regret anything that I've done ever. I would never regret any step that I've taken. The hardest thing that I, I think at the moment is thank God that we are diversified. As in our group is diversified. There were cer certain, certain decisions that I would have had to make differently had I not had the backup of other companies in the situation. Obviously, um, there are so many small businesses that have suffered. And one thing that I've done um, in, in, in this COVID experience, obviously I've, I've kept all my employees, I've kept all their wages, I've, I, I haven't lowered anyone's wage. I mean, even there were times where we had to close. You know, and, and no income, everything is from our pocket, if you know what I mean. I mean, there were months that I've gone without taking a wage myself for that. So myself and all the family, not just me, but I'm here speaking on behalf of everyone so that our employees can take their wage back home. Because obviously our business, our businesses, they're not, so to speak, we have, they're, they're I mean, everyone can tell it's cash flow problems in every single business is not just ours. So, I mean, our employees come first and without them, we would not be anywhere. I think the one problem that that I have personally as a person is that I'm a perfectionist. So I'd, sometimes I would rather do everything myself. And that's why I stress myself out so much, because I expect perfection, which I know that not even I can get, not even, I mean, not even when I do it myself, it's perfect, let alone, you know, when you're asking someone, you're, I mean, you're showing them how to do it, but it's what I have here, ultimately, that is perfect, or what, what I would have seen, so it's, it's not, it's not very easy for me, and my psychotherapist helps me a lot in that, <laughs> when I said, I, if I make a decision, I keep it. It's even with relationships. So if I say that this person is too negative for my life, that person is too negative for my life, therefore he or she are not in my life anymore. Because I cannot, with my job, with my life, with my busy lifestyle, with, with the so many friends that I have that I adore and love and support in everything that they do, I don't have time for negativity. So if I feel that a relationship is not working, be it a friend, be it a, a colleague, I, I will not be able to, to do it anymore. And the one thing that I've done, we have um, targeted a few small businesses and have subcontracted to them. 
so have had subcontracted work so that their 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 jobs don't go bust so to speak christabel borge i have loved talking to you i have loved listening to your thoughts and your passions congratulations on everything that you have achieved and thank you so much for being here on empowered with us thank you